Come on. Hey, good morning, Grace. It's good to be back. My name is Chris Lip. I'm uh, the brother-in-law of Scott and Kim. Uh, great to be back in Nacogdoches. We love coming to Nacogdoches. In fact, so it was four months ago that we were here. Uh, my church, McKinney Memorial Bible Church, uh, and in fact, sends greetings this morning. We've been praying for you guys as you continue to journey in this new season. And they were glad that I was going to be able to come back. But I, I was looking forward to coming back. And, and uh, so after we were here, I, I, I let Scott know, yeah, we'd love to come back. Just let me know. And, and he said, well, bro, we, we call each other bro. He said, uh, uh, you're, you're not ready. And I was like, wow. I guess that maybe it didn't go too well. He said, no, you know, you're just not ready yet. And I said, well, well bro, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll study up on my theology and my Christology and my soteriology and all that stuff. And, and he said, no, no, you're just not ready. I'm like, wow, okay, well, well I mean, bro, really, I can, I'll, I'll work on my homiletics and my hermeneutics and my exegesis and, and, and I'll, I'll figure out some jokes and, and that, you know, you're just not ready. I said, well, bro, I'll come for free. He said, now you're ready. That's actually not, mostly not true, but he said, Come, how about Father's Day? We were kind of looking at the schedule. He said, Father's Day. I said, you know, that's wonderful. Family, get to be a family on Father's Day and love coming to NAC anytime. But uh, then he uh, said, you're going to get to teach on 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. I'm like, okay, Peter, you know, he, he got a, you know, a couple books, two and a half books in the Bible maybe, and he, uh, you know, he, he was a great guy and he had a couple mess-ups, but I can, I can rock with Peter. First Peter's a great book, and then I, I went and looked at the passage, and I'd never taught on First Peter before. Uh, let's, let's flip, turn there, First Peter 3. I, uh, I looked at it, and <laughs> I can't remember if it was a text or email. I was, uh, threw out a flurry. It says, have, have you looked at this passage? Do you realize which one you gave me? Uh, there's one commentator has figured out that there's something like 18 different interpretations of what this passage means. Uh, Martin Luther, actually I actually have, uh, I found a quote from Martin Luther. He, uh, he cheerfully complimented, complimented that this was a more obscure passage perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so I do not know for certainty just what Peter means. So just, I'm just going to set the record straight, if Martin Luther couldn't figure it out, we're not going to figure it out in 25 minutes. But I actually, I have an idea. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm, hopefully we can get there. If you're into sermon titles, my, my title this morning is Glory Road. Glory Road. And you've been studying through First Peter, right? You've seen what he's talking about, right? He's talking about suffering. But really, it's not about suffering. I don't know if you've noticed, but a couple of dozen times in the book, he talks about glory. So Glory Road, I borrowed it from the, the movie that's a little bit political and a little bit inaccurate, uh, documenting the journey of a basketball team. And, but that's not what I'm thinking about. We're talking about a different kind of Glory Road. There's, there's two kinds of glory. There's future glory, and then there's glory in the present. And I, I, I think I shared my favorite definition of glory when I was here last time. Glory is the breathtaking greatness and goodness of God. We, we sang about it in that first song this morning. That was a wonderful worship set. Such amazing truth. He fills, he leaves the nations breathless in awe and wonder. Did you catch that? 
do, do, you, do, you ever, do, you, do we ever get there in this life breathless with awe and wonder? That's the glory of God. Anytime you're, you're left breathless, you say, wow. He takes, your, he takes our breath away with how good he is. And right from the very beginning, when he first cranked it all up, it was very good. And that was the understatement of, the, of eternity, right? It was so incredibly good, and it's going to be so incredibly good. So let's look at what Peter, I'm just going to skim real, real quickly. Peter, throughout this book, has been talking about it. He began talking about an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance, right? He talks about multiple times our salvation. Talk about the goodness of God that should take our breath away. Grace at the revelation of Jesus, right? So we're talking about future glory. Future glory when the nations glorify God, chapter 2. When we inherit a blessing, which will be indescribable, chapter 3. Chapter 4, he talks about glory and dominion forever and ever. That's future glory. Rejoicing at the revelation of his glory. Glory to be revealed, chapter 5. An unfading crown of glory that we get. God will exalt you at that time and call you into eternal glory. This is a theme throughout the whole book, is glory. It's not just glory to come, it's glory right now. Look at what he says in verse, actually, before he talked about our inheritance, he talks about living hope. We've been born again to a living hope, which is goodness now, glory now. We have a living hope, not a dead hope. In verse 8, chapter 1, he talks about rejoicing greatly within its inexpressible, full of glory, this joy that we have. Chapter 2, we are a holy priesthood. We're living stones. Talk about goodness talks about beautiful works right here and now in the presence and favor with God that he's pleased with us right now. Glory, goodness, right now, takes our breath away. Chapter 3, a precious and perishable spirit giving out blessings, which is glimpses of God's unbelievable goodness. Chapter 4, he's going to talk about God being glorified in all things, not just in the future, but right now, glorified in all things. He talks about the spirit of glory resting on you and me now. And that right now we're a partaker of glory. So we're, we're on this glory road leading to glory. So we come to a place where we talk about suffering and glory. Because right, that's sort of the theme that's woven. It's not just about suffering or glory. It's both all together. So I wanted, uh, but that's the biblical pattern. Before, we, before I get to that, I want to talk about, so this time of year, Father's Day is actually, for me, uh, a little bit of a lead-up. My favorite time of year is July, in, in a sporting sense, because it's the time of year when you have this, this amazing thing called the Tour de France. We got any cycling fans out there? Uh, I have to admit, I, I've been jaded a little bit after the whole Lance Armstrong thing, but... Uh, I, I cut my teeth on Lance Armstrong climbing these mountains for three weeks in France. And, and you have to think about it. So for 21 days, with a couple of, of days off, they basically get on their bikes and ride to Houston in the heat of southern France or northern. I mean, uh, sometimes in the mountains, right? But so four or five hours on this little tiny hard saddle and up and down mountains, the Alps and the Pyrenees. And they do this like every day. 
They're like, ride down to Houston, get on your bike, you're going to go ride back, and you're going to do, do that for three weeks. That's, it's the Tour de France. It's, some have called it the most incredibly difficult athletic event in the world. There's this thing called the Queen Stage, which is, is arguably the hardest stage of the entire tour. And so you, you can look at a, at a horizontal profile of that particular stage, and it's going to be up and down and up and down. And the final part of that particular day's stage is going to be a climb up to maybe the highest peak on that particular tour. It's going to be in the Alps probably, possibly in the Pyrenees. But the, essentially, the, the, the man who gets to the top of that final climb, it will probably be the overall winner of the Tour de France. And it's that ride up that final climb that is this, I want us to be picturing this, is this climb to glory. And in the tour, it's, it's a climb to the glory of getting first place in one of the most difficult things, uh, sporting events in the world. But uh, that's really, I think, a great picture of what we're talking about in First Peter and in this life. We're talking about up and down and up and down and all kinds of weather. Rain and sometimes snow up in the Alps and heat and wind and things that buffet you and that's what Peter's talking about. And this is really the, the biblical pattern, isn't it? Suffering and glory. Suffering and glory. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Do you see the pattern? Suffering and glory. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Momentary light affliction is producing in us and for us, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Do you see the pattern? First Peter 1.11, we've, we've, you've already studied this. The prophets were seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Do you see it? Suffering and glory. Chapter 5, you'll, you'll get to it in a few weeks, I'm sure. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strength, uh, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Do you see the pattern? Suffering, if necessary, and glory. And so we get to this passage. I'm a New American Standard guy. I was telling Scott that this morning. Uh... As usual, I, I, like, I like when the scriptures is really close to the original Greek, and I feel like the New American Standard tends to do that. But in, in this particular instance, I've, I've found that there's actually, the New American Standard puts in a couple of things that aren't really reflecting the Greek, and I love the ESV on this. So I'm just going to read it, and you can follow along. Can, can everyone see that up there? We were concerned the text would be too small if we put up the whole passage. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, 
who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Happy Father's Day. No problem. Here's, here's what I think he's saying here, just in a nutshell, is suffering and glory go hand in hand. And sometimes when you get into the game, when you align yourself with the light, with, with the king, you're going to take some hits. Because at the very core of what we experience in this world is brokenness, right? This world is broken there's the law of corruption that's in play, Romans chapter 8. It talks about how all creation has been subjected to corruption. Things break down, right? Stuff breaks down. Our bodies break down. Relationships break down. Things are broken. And at the core of that, there's this rebellion against the light, against the truth. And when you and I decide to align ourselves closely with the light we're going to take some extra hits because the, the rebellion is about a desperate battle. And we call it a spiritual battle. It's a war. And, and behind that, that's what Paul talks about. It says, Our, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the powers and the, the principalities of darkness. So at the back of that, there's a spiritual battle. And so when we, when we step into the light and we get in step with the light, then we're going to take some more hits. That's what he's talking about. You might suffer unjustly. You might be doing everything right, and, and not only are you going to experience some breakdown, right, but you might get hit by the enemy, by some of these powers. That might happen to you. And so this is exactly what he says. Guess what happened to Jesus? Christ also, that's exactly what he says. Christ also, he suffered. Just for unjust, righteous for unrighteous. Like he did not deserve a single thing that happened to him. So you and I get to the place, we're dealing with some stuff. This is not fair, God. I didn't sign up for this. Well, guess what? Christ suffered too. Now he signed up for it, right? He had an idea what was coming. But that's what he's saying. He's holding up Jesus as the one we can look to, as our example. Who is Jesus? He's our suffering Savior who reigns in glory. That's what the Scripture tells us, right? And so we fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the lighthouse. He's the one who guides us through the storm and through the battle. He's the conquering king who rides in and leads us in triumph, right? That's what the scripture says. He's the author and perfecter of faith, suffering in glory. He's been there. That's exactly what he's saying. In fact, that first verse, verse 18, some of, uh, they say it's the most succinct explanation of the gospel in the entire New Testament. If you want to memorize a verse, the first half of 18, that's it right there. Christ also died once, just for unjust, righteous for unrighteous. So he's our example, and suffering can be expected, right? 
Why did he die? Though, I mean, there, there's a practical purpose that his suffering was redemptive. Right? It accomplished our salvation. He died to bring us to God. That's what it says in that passage. To bring us to God. And that's what we're going to talk about the ark briefly. That was the whole, that's the whole reason Peter gets into talking about the ark. It's this idea of what's going to bring us safely through the battle and the suffering. What's going to bring us safely through? Kind of like the ark, Jesus. And it's about getting into Jesus. That's what he's talking about in that passage right there, right? So Christ is our example. Christ saves. Christ suffered and Christ saves, if you're taking notes. And salvation is assured, right? And this is what it talks about there. He was put to death in the flesh on the one hand, but on the other hand, he was made alive in the spirit. That's the actual language in the Greek. Now, <laughs> Here's where, we, here's where we get into some of the, the, uh, the weeds. I don't want to spend a lot of time getting the ball lost in the weeds. But so there are a lot of questions now that arise. Well, okay, uh, when was he made alive in spirit? And then he went and preached to the spirits, all right? When did, he, what did it happen? Some people say it happened before the resurrection. Some people said it happened uh, after the crucifixion. But before the resurrection, some people happen to said before the incarnation. Some people say it happened after the resurrection, but before the ascension. Some people say what happened during the ascension. And some people actually says it actually happened during Noah. And it wasn't actually Christ. It was the spirit of Christ through Noah, vicariously. And there are a lot. I've found theologians who could, you know, eat me for lunch. And they land on all different of those positions. But I'll tell you what I think in a, in a second there's not only a question of, of when, having been made alive in spirit, uh, did he go and preach or proclaim, but you know, where and to whom did he do that? So it talks about spirits in prison. Some will say those are fallen angels. Some will say that those are the disobedient people in Noah's day. I'll tell you what I think in a second, but I think that the main point that Peter is, is probably wanting us to take away with here is that, that Christ saves because he goes into this thing, whole thing about the ark. And I think the point's not about the ark. The point, because when he, think, he goes on, it says baptism saves, right? Water saves. He's saying baptism saves you, but what he's thinking about is not water because if you think about Noah's water, Noah's water actually killed. That was the instrument of judgment. He's not trying to tell us that, okay, well, now you need to make sure you've been water baptized. He's saying Christ saves just like the ark saved. And the point is not, is, is, it, it's not about the water. He's saying it's not about the water. It's about an appeal to God for a clean conscience, which is really what you're doing when you trust in Christ, right? We when we come to Christ and we, we recognize that he suffered for us and that he now saves us, he's the one to bring us safely to God, we put our trust in him and God baptizes or puts us into Christ. And that he's the one that will bring us safely to God. Does that make sense? That's where we are with that. The water doesn't save. There's a phrase in there that talks about, it says that the patience of God kept waiting. Do you know why 
you and I suffer? Because God is patient. Right? In that, in that what he's, he's going to talk about, actually in his next letter, he talks about it. God is patient. He's not slow concerning his patience, uh, his promise towards us. He doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. That's, what he, that's why he was waiting back in Noah's day is because the ark wasn't ready. And it wasn't ready to save the people who were going to be saved. Now, it was only eight at that time, right? But the ark wasn't ready. And at this point, the ark is not yet full with the people that are coming into it. So God is patient. He's waiting. And because of that, we get to still be involved in the battle, the, the desperate struggle for the souls of those around us. That's why we suffer, and sometimes unjustly. We don't deserve it, right? Maybe we've done everything right. God, I don't deserve this. He's being patient. He's waiting. You know what he's waiting for? Do you remember what happened at the end when they walked out of the ark? Do you remember what happened? There was a little worship service. Noah built an altar, fragrant aroma, and I imagine and every time God gets this, this pleasing aroma, it's like, I think he's just like, ah, you know, it's like there was worship. And that was the outcome of being brought safely through the flood. And at some point, at the end of this journey in Christ, there's going to be this incredible worship. It's going to be glory, celebrating the goodness, the breathtaking goodness of God. It's going to take our breath away. I think that's what he's waiting for. He can't wait for the nations to be gathered up there. He's still waiting. Christ suffered, he saves, and he reigns. And this is where I'll, I'll land on what I think Peter was talking about here. Splendor is certain, and glory is guaranteed. Christ reigns. It says that he was put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. And I think the language there is a contrast. And it's talking about resurrection. It's clearly talking to, to me, it's talking about resurrection. And, and made alive in the spirit. You have to remember that this is not, it's not just like Lazarus coming out of the tomb and he's going to die again, right? He, I mean, Jesus was, I mean, you could touch him, right? And he could eat, but he could like walk through walls somehow. And he could like be gone and, and appear. I mean, it's like in the spirit, right? And somehow in this, he went and proclaimed to spirits. But it says at the very end there in this section, it says that, that Christ right now is at the right hand of God in heaven, having subjected all these spirits, the powers and the authorities have been subjected to him. And I think what it's talking about is, is Christ is now reigning. He is, he's conquered not only death, but he's, he's conquered these powers. They've all been subjected to him. So all in, this, in the midst of this spiritual battle, and these, these things that at that time particularly, they, they, were, they were really prone to blaming all the things that would happen on them. They would tend to blame a demon or a fallen angel or something like that. And so I think what Peter's trying to emphasize is, is the battle has actually been won. And Christ is victorious. 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he says. Hebrews says this, it says, We do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone It was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And that's what he does for us. When we're in Jesus, Christ suffered. He saves and he reigns. And I think that's what Peter's talking about. He's talking about Christ went... And, and I don't know where he went exactly, but I think he was talking to those fallen angels, to those powers and principalities, and he was affirming that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so like the author to Hebrews says, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We're running this race. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's what Peter's telling us to do. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the truth that Jesus also suffered. And he's able to come to our rescue. He's able to sympathize with us. He can sympathize with our weaknesses and our struggles. And he suffered unjustly. God, thank you for our suffering Savior who's a sympathetic high priest. God, I thank you not only that he saves and brings us safely all the way to you, but he reigns. And Lord, we affirm that this morning. We affirm that in our lives and whatever anyone in this place is going through, Lord, I affirm that right now for them. Lord, that you are on the throne and you are not surprised in the least by anything that's happened to any single one of us today. And you have a purpose, God. Somehow, through all of this, you're going to get glory. And you have glory in store for each and every one of us, even right now in the present. So God, give us the grace to walk in that inexpressible joy, patiently, whatever comes, come what may, God, for your sake and for the sake of the gospel and for those who still have yet to come to know Jesus. And Lord, we ask this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you.